The Rams Review Podcast are delighted to announce a new sponsor for this season, the Terrace Apparel. The Terrace Apparel offers tributes to iconic sporting moments and heroes embroidered onto timeless crew neck tees made from organic cotton for a soft but durable t-shirt which makes them both comfortable and stylish. There are currently over 100 bespoke designs to choose from, from footballing legends, cricketing masterclasses to major winners, with more designs being added regularly. Can't find something that's special to you? You can even request your own iconic sporting moment. Contact them on their website, theterristapparel.com. But that's not all. For all Derby fans listening, we have had the pleasure of creating our own design, voted for by the listeners of the podcast over the last couple of weeks on our socials. You voted for the iconic Jim Smith and Igor Stimak at the baseball ground, which will be on sale very soon. Keep your eyes out on our socials for the product launch. Also, we can exclusively offer 15% off all purchases with the code RAMSREVIEW15. TheTerristApparel.com. Check it out now. Welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby Cat. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Corey along with you today. Um, I'm not alone. Hope you're all doing well. Unfortunately, Jason cannot join me today. So Batman and Robin are not together. Um, but I do have my good friend, and he's also part of the furniture these days, Jack Bryan. Jack, welcome back to the show. Thanks for uh, spending the evening with me. Yeah, thank you. I, I think we should just start, just very quickly, by apologising to the people of Bakewell who we may have alienated, well, you guys may have alienated last week. But... Well, that Dom alienated, because I yeah, said true. that I love Bakewell, and I love the Bakewell tart, but Dom Dietrich, not a fan, um, and he's got, his opinion is wrong. Let's just all say that because Bakewell tarts are delicious. Are they uh, still listening anyway? Yeah, exactly. If they're still listening, but I love Bakewell. I've been there a few times. I love it. And I just do the Bakewell tart tour of Bakewell every time I walk in because it just, you go from shop to shop to shop and it's just amazing. Like who doesn't love a Bakewell tart? I like Dom. Nice guy. Strange taste in sweets, but that's okay. I'll let that one go. Um, and joining me today is I'm assuming another Bakewell tart fan, but also Darby County supporter and a returning guest of the podcast, Chris Smith. Chris. Welcome back to the show. And the big question is, Jack just opened up there. Are you a fan of Bakewell tarts? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a massive cake man, weirdly, which you, you would be surprised when you see my build. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Bakewell tarts, okay. I don't mind. I'm, I'm okay with a Bakewell tart, definitely. Yeah, see, I get them from Mr. Kipling's, but I take the cherry off because I yeah. just don't like I think that's just, that's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Yeah, nice I like, little... yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm Mr. Kipling, I'm definitely in with, but I'm more maybe more maybe more just the classic apple pie, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Can't and go obviously, wrong. And obviously Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, Mr. Kipling mince pies imminent. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's mince pie season. Um, funny story before we get kicking off about the stuff. We once got a Christmas pudding here um years ago when I was growing up, obviously, because my dad's from the area. We got a we got a Christmas pudding and we were warming it up. And we put it in the microwave. It didn't realize that it had a two P piece oh. in the thing. Oh, and wow. all I remember is my dad, my mom going, get out of the way, get out of the way. And my dad running out the house and there were flames shooting out of the microwave. And I remember that. And I was just like, well, where is the cake? Like, where is this? Where is this pudding? And they're like, it's just not going to happen. But I did get the two. I did get the two P cent. So 
that was something. But yeah, so I don't microwave those anymore. That's a bad idea. I learned I learned that very early on from a very yeah. early lesson. You've um, still got a scar on your finger and thumb where you picked it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's still burnt <laughs> into my burnt into my uh, to my thing. Um, so, gents, let's move on from talking about sweets to the game. We're recording this just after the final resort uh, result resort final result against Morecambe, where it finished. Morecambe won. Derby County won. Darby missed two penalties this evening. Um, Jack, based off of the performance, which you're going to talk about in a few minutes at the weekend, this definitely seems like, again, one step backward uh, for this club. I mean, Morecambe is a team. We, I think we had, what, 27 shots, 11 on target. We just couldn't bury the chance. We've missed two penalties. And at the end of the day, those two points could cost us uh, when you're looking at results that could go down. Um it seems about of a it seems a bit of a a, a a lower ebb now from the weekend, doesn't it? It does absolutely, and this is the thing with our with our form, isn't it? This is what you were you were alluding to before we started recording. That it is a a real kind of we take a step forward. You think we're turning the corner, and we go backwards a little bit. I mean, Morecambe are in the relegation zone, so as much as there's no easy games in the division and. And all of that, you know, some away games, Tuesday night. There's, you know, you still think that we should be, we should be beating a team that are in the relegation zone. I mean, a win, a win tonight would have put us into playoff places. As it stands, we are, we no longer have a game in hand on Bolton, and we are two points behind them, same goal difference. So we're, you know, we're in a decent position to kick on. But we've been saying that for a few weeks now, haven't we? This is the thing. And it's um, it's when the start finally comes. I mean, if you look tonight, as you say, 27 shots, um, three chances classified as big chances, all missed. Um, obviously, two of those penalties, which weren't great efforts either. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, is a, a stat. I've, have I pulled this out on here before? But this is one of those stats that some people believe in, some people don't. But it, it says a lot here. Expected goals is 3.05, according to this. So to only score one, you know, it's it's not it's just not good enough. The finishing just isn't there. We played, you know, that, that second half in particular was a really good half overall for the you know, listening to it. But yeah, it's that it's that cutting edge, isn't it? It's the final ball, it's the um it's the finish, which we had on we had on Saturday. Um I think I read that we only had Let's, I'm going to check this. We, so we had five shots on target and scored four goals. We were we were clinical. I mean that was we, that was only sixteen shots. We had eleven less shots and we scored three more goals on Saturday. And it is it's that real mixed bag, that real inconsistency, and it feels I don't know. Tonight feels like another one of those games like we had what in the first month or so of the season uh, under Rafinha, where. It's the same old things we're moaning about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Chris, do you feel do you feel similar that, you know, obviously we picked up a point away from home on the, you know, leveling it out, points from getting a point away from home, pretty good if you win your home games. But do you feel like this is a bit of a low ebb based off of what happened on Saturday? Did you want to see, because I've wanted to see a, you know, continuation of a, a progressive build since Paul Warren's came in week after week after week, building towards something. And it really felt like after Saturday, we were building towards something, scoring four goals, playing as well as what we did. And then we've just drawn against Morecambe. I mean, it does feel a little bit, 
it's not panic stations. It's November, but these are these are points that you're leaving on the board, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Ward himself will be crazy frustrated by that. I mean, I think I, I'm going to take it back again to Exeter because. I think if you, I mean, the Exeter game was brutal, right? It was a horrible night. We didn't create anything. We could have been playing now. We wouldn't have won that game. You know, there was all the noise about, oh, you know, have we got the wrong players for warm ball? And are the, is this any better than Rossinha? And Liam would have put Exeter to the sword. And then, of course, Saturday, it was amazing. Um, and I, we didn't play bad tonight. The first, it, it was just the finishing tonight. I mean, you cannot legislate for missing two penalties. You know, you've got... I mean, you will never see... Um, I mean, Dizzy's hat-trick on Saturday. Yeah, OK, all hat-tricks are great. But the finishing, all three of his goals, the finishes were outrageous. Oh, they I mean, were, the, yeah, they were world-class yeah. finishes. I mean, he was, yeah, like, the, two the acute angles, one. I believe. He, like, had some really acute angles. He bent it yeah, in. It was brilliant. Crazy. I, mean, I mean, the first goal, I've, I've seen... I love the first goal. You know, I mean, he made that look like a tap-in. And, he, I mean, look, you compare that first goal uh, Dizzy scored on Saturday to the one that Asula had when Fozzie put him through tonight, where he's, you know, he's all over the place, his body shape's wrong, you know, he's falling over and, you know, and, and he skies it. And um, and that was all good. That was easier, you know. So, and you just can't legislate, you know, so you get a guy who scores three outrageous goals like that, and then probably it's probably one of the worst penalties <laughs> I've seen a Derby player take for some time. And, uh, you know, and even like Collins, you know, Collins is like a blunderbuss, blood and gut striker. And I'm waiting for him to, you know, do a full on Brexit thrash into the bottom right hand corner and knock their goalkeeper through the back of the net and out the stand. And he tries to place it. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, just, you know, and the, you know, the goal is like six foot five or six big keeper Connor Ripley um and uh yeah it's just so frustrating and but as I say I we didn't play bad tonight I think the thing you've got to take from tonight is we didn't play bad and I absolutely accept Jack's point that we've had we we have had this conversation in the Rossini period several times but yeah I mean another by any stretch of the imagination you know any other day you know you win that game easily you know Easily, I mean, even even the goal they scored was a, was a great goal. You know, the ball, you know, the ball never touched the ground, and uh, he, you know, he threaded it through an eye of a needle, didn't he? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's frustrating. I, I, you know, we're desperate to get this run going. That was a great opportunity to set it going, but yeah, I I don't know what Warren could do really with uh, when we we missed two penalties. So, Chris, you're you're kind of I think right now your 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 mindset is pretty solid based off of what I've been reading online and things like that, because you're very experienced. You've watched the game a long time and I would tend to agree with you. We are away from home. We got a point, not the worst case in the world. You know, if you can't win, don't lose. We didn't, we had chances. We missed them. We could chalk it up to, Hey, that's just one of those nights. We move on and we look at it. The positives. We've got four points from two games and we've got now a platform to continue to build on. Um, but you know, for me, Jack, I think it's, I, I want to echo Chris's sentiments, you know, thinking about it, it's actually not the worst result in the world, right? We didn't go there and get lose. We weren't, we didn't go like we played against Exeter or what we did against Lincoln, which was not great. Um, we've got four points. It's a platform to build, isn't it? Now it's time. Like we talked about several weeks ago on the podcast and probably every podcast since now it's the time to 
take it into the to next two games, which are obviously cup games, um, but start putting performances together and start putting a solid slate together because breeding that winning mentality, getting that winning mentality, that's going to help you down the line, isn't it? It is. It's, you know, it's getting out of what was a little bit of a, a rut, a few, a few poor games. If you look back to kind of the, the kind of middle of October, looking, I'm just refreshing this, um, you know, but even, even things like the Ipswich game were, you know, that was a, that was an individual mistake, wasn't it? And this is the thing we're seeing. It's just, it's just fine margins. So tonight, it is. It's a very solid you know, performance, and it is. It's just the finishing. Penalties, yeah, they just weren't weren't quite there. But as Chris says, there is nothing one can do. Um, you know, so I think, I think, yeah, we've just got to keep it going, and it will come. I've, I've got faith, you know, in in Paul Warren. I mean, just listening to his post match interview tonight on BBC Radio Derby, um, and actually. There's some very interesting things he said. Um, so there isn't enough competition for places or strength in depth, as I feel like everyone's been saying of late. I mean, I'd, I'd say, you know, what Chris was talking about going back to Exeter and people saying we didn't have the right players for warm ball, that was just very reactionary, wasn't it? Um, we all know that because then we, you know, we saw what happened on Saturday and everyone loved him. Um, but, but yeah, you need, said you need at least 20 fit players. We only had six subs on the bench tonight, and some of those weren't fit enough to come on. And this is the small squad we've got, the situation we found ourselves in. So you've got to you've got to consider that. We've got, I mean, how many have we got out at the moment? I Davis, Davis, Chester, Hurricane was suspended, Barkhausen, yeah. and there is at least one more. Nine. Nine, nine. Yeah. Yeah, and then Cashin obviously get, got a fifth booking tonight, so he'll be out the MK Dons game. Uh, when that was when it was clarified to warn that it is the MK Don's game that Cashin will miss, he was evidently disappointed by that as well because I guess you know he could have thrown Jake Rooney in or something if it was if it was on Sunday, and he may well do, but he you know he feels like he needs Cashin for that game a week on Saturday. Um, that that's the thing it is it's just strength and depth um, that. That I think that's the risk, and that's probably why we haven't got that much of a run together because players are tired. I mean, there's a lot of talk tonight of them looking a bit leggy at times. So Mendes Lang came off, didn't he? He looked a bit. I mean, one said something about um, Dobbin, Didsy, and Mendes Lang. So that's McGoldrick and Mendes Lang um, all all being fatigued come the end of the game. And it is it's that Saturday, Tuesday with a very small squad. So you, when you consider all of that, it is absolutely a decent result. You just feel, you know, we, we should have won it because I mean, on top of those two penalties, there was a there was a third one, wasn't there? And I think I think it's just a little bit unfortunate, but it is. It's a good result. And me being the pessimist I often am in life, um, I, would I take the point? Perhaps I would. I don't. I don't know. I think. I think there is. Either way, there are certainly positives to take, and it is. It's just keeping the run, keeping the run going. I think the disappointment tonight is that uh, Saturday could have been a real springboard to go on some sort of winning spree, but that's you know that is probably unrealistic given our situation. So we'll we'll take it. I think 
No, I would agree with you, Chris. Uh, sorry, Jack. I would agree with you. Um, got to get got to get your points away from home. If you can't win, don't lose. Probably didn't lose. They got a point at the end of the day. That's going to tally up. Could be two points lost, but you could look at it in the positive half glass full. We gained a point. Chris, the guy who gained the point tonight for Derby was Louis Sibley. Um, and we know that Louis Sibley obviously burst onto the scene several years ago. Um, but I think it's pretty safe to say that he's not necessarily hit the heights or hit the growth projection that we had all hoped that he would after, you know, after Project Restart in the pandemic and, and playing really well in the, the game before I think they Blackburn and then uh, scoring his hat trick against Millwall. Been in and out of the team. And we really thought this season, especially for me, I thought, well, League One, Louis Sibley's going to come in here and he's going to tear it up because he was doing well in the championship. And he's been in and out of the team. He's been rather inconsistent. And I think I was talking to to Jack and Jason offline, and I said, I might be ready to give up on Louis Sibley if it was me, in all honesty. And I'm not saying one game changes my entire opinion. Um, but it, the goal's got to be really helpful for him, doesn't it, Chris, in terms of confidence and then trying for him to establish himself in this team um, in a midfield that has been unbalanced at times. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I feel a bit sorry for him, really, because I think he was a victim of, um, you know, kind of different managers, and I don't think Rooney particularly liked him. Rooney was a was I always felt was really harsh on him, and he brought him on in different positions and weird positions. And then, but then in fairness, there were several occasions where he did get his chance and he didn't take it, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I've got to say, I'm a fan, so I'm probably you know a little bit biased because one thing I like about him is. Uh, he, he shoots right so one thing I always think he's got a goal in him and you know you think to uh, well tonight great example the Peterborough on the classic last year under Rooney where he scored the injury time winner um, and I think the, the thing with Rooney, uh, Rooney Sibley is he's always positive and he always goes forward and he's always looks to shoot and he's direct and he's aggressive and yeah I, I would definitely keep him around you know 100% you know I, I wouldn't be ready to give up on him yet I mean and uh, thank goodness we didn't sell him to Millwall last year when uh, I think we were about to. Yeah, and I mean, Jack, it seems weird to say, well, let's give up on a player um, who is as young as Louis Sibley. But, you know, when he's been around for this long and you keep expecting him to kick on, um, you know, eventually those thoughts are going to come up. But, you know, Chris makes an interesting point there, Jack. Um, you know, Louis Sibley looks like he always has a goal in him. And sometimes Darby do look a bit tentative. And sometimes I think... I think it's pretty safe to say in this day and age with modern football, there's a lot of, there's very few players that like to take people on and there's very few players that like to shoot from distance anymore. I mean, I remember like Bastian Schweinsteig used to hit him from like 40 yards and it was brilliant, but that doesn't happen very much often now because people are all about ball retention and retaining it. Um, But Jack with, does does Louis Sibley now come in in place of Connor Hurrahane for the next couple of cup games or, you know, especially for the next league game based off his performance and goal tonight? See, I think that's because of the cup games. I think that's difficult to say, isn't it? If we had a run of league games, you know, we you might get given them, and we'd see there's going inevitably there's going to be some rotation throughout the next couple of games. I mean, it can't be much, um, obviously, with the situation that I touched on earlier. But yeah, Louis Sibley. I mean, you touched on his age and things as well, and I think because they came onto the scene so early. Some of them were maybe rushed through because of circumstances as well. We we think of them as more, you know, as older than they are. We forget, you know, forget quite how young they are. And I think the other thing with Sibley was he's a little bit of a victim of his own success when he first 
kind of, as you say, burst onto the scene. Um, because he had the Blackburn game, he had the hat-trick against Millwall, which uh, was massive in the sense that it was our first game back after a three-month break due to the first lockdown as well. So we were all just buzzing with that. And if you remember, that that month of Project Restart and finishing that season, there were, there were huge Bellingham comparisons from people. People on Twitter, Derby fans, Birmingham fans, were going, they were doing, you know, side by side, looking at the stats, looking at, you know, he's just, he's just come in. And I think what you're saying about, and what Chris is saying about the, the goal in him and the fact he shoots, I think that suits Paul Warren as well. I think that's maybe something with with Rooney and Rooney to an extent as well that um, they wouldn't have been as much of a fan of. They were more, you know, we were passing it into the goal more. Whereas Warren, you know, he wants players to take risks. It's get it out to the wing-backs, cross it. If it doesn't work, just go again. In the same sense, it's, you know, get a shot off, see what happens. So that sort of thing is certainly good for Sibley. I think having that freedom to, to have a go is, is good. And the other thing with him is he's going to mature as well in terms of, you know, use, has he got as, I don't think he's got as many random yellow cards this season and that sort of thing. So and I think that limited him under Rooney as well. Rooney was always a little bit more fearful of that happening and I think it did happen more. So I think, I think yeah, give him a few games, he's going to get opportunities because of the size of the squad. And what, you, and in terms of taking players on, there's him, but also Lewis Dobbin uh, seemed to do quite well tonight. Um, nice pass, the assist for the goal, actually, when he could have shot. He's kind of snuck that through. Everton watching on. Um, so there's some good good young players. And yeah, they they kind of stepped up. Mendes Lang a little bit less um, on it compared to what we've come to expect but still solid. And before we turn our attentions, like you say that there, Jack, to the Cup games, Chris, it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on the podcast with us. Um, what are your impressions of Paul Warren so far? Are you enjoying, are you enjoying Warren Ball? Um, are you missing Liam Rossinier? Are you thinking it's going to take a, you know, another, another few weeks to this be fully implemented? And, and what are you hopeful for to see under Paul Warren? Um, hmm, well, there's a lot, it's <laughs> a lot to unpack there. And I, I mean, that's an off hour podcast in itself. Um, yeah, I would say, so yeah, I, I am enjoying it. I think, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't one of these who was massively negative on Rosinia, but the def, I mean, I went, I went to the Lincoln game. I went to the Shrewsbury game and he, he definitely was getting a bit negative in the stands, you know, with the, the predictability of the way we played and the, slow build of the short goal kicks and, you know, the kind of, you know, you could see the next five passes before they actually happened. And, you know, kind of, I don't think, I don't think Warren's long ball. I think that's the diff, the thing that I think he's, he's obviously a pragmatic manager. Um, and, you know, I think all these kind of suggestions that he was going to be like a kick and rush and, you know, uh, long ball merchant are overstated. Um, I think the games are more exciting. I think we'd all agree with that. I mean, Exeter game, obviously, aside. But I went to Cambridge. That was cracking. Uh, tonight was a great game, you know, regardless of anything else. Saturday was mega. You know, the the games are, you know, they're a bit basketball at the moment, I've got to say. but And hopefully that will change. But again, there definitely is, in fairness to Warren, 
we, we've got good players and I don't think there's any doubt we've got some of the best players in the league, but clearly they're not all tailored to uh, Warren's style of play. But equally, um, there aren't that many of them, <laughs> you know. So as we've just said there, we're dropping like flies. So kind of to sort of seg from the last conversation and probably into the next one, I think the team selection of this Torquay game on Sunday is going to be super interesting because there's so many things in the pot here. So uh, obviously you've got tired players. The game doesn't really matter. We've got Liverpool four days later. So again, I think Warren would probably kill anyone who suggested this, but we're all human beings. And meanwhile, in the real world, no one's going to want to get injured before they play Liverpool. Um, And, um, you know, our under-21 team at the moment is brutal. I went to see them against Forest a couple of weeks ago and it was borderline upsetting how bad they were. Um, And... The majority of those guys are currently out on loan because the under-21s haven't got a game this month. So he's loaned them all out to local teams. So I I, I have no idea who's going to play on Sunday. So, you know, probably Jake Rooney and Liam Thompson are probably a good shout and Stearman. But outside of that, well, maybe Cashin will play now if he's if he's suspended for, um, you know, uh, MKD. But... Uh, yeah, I, 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 who knows what's going to happen on Sunday, but, uh, you know, we wait with bait of breath. And with that, Chris, um, I spoke with Chris Ballard from the Talking Torquay podcast. Let's hear what he had to say regarding the game on Sunday. And of course, Rams fans, Darby are up for the cup this week with not one, but two cup games coming up so we're going to kick off our up for the cup previews starting with the fa cup first round as it's darby and torquay united and joining me today to talk about torquay and to find out how they're going to set up for the game and a little bit more about them is chris ballard from the talking torquay podcast chris first of all how the heck are you and thanks for joining us i'm i'm very good Corey. thank you for having me so um darby and torquay play each other in the fa cup first round um, first, first initial impressions when the balls came out of the hat and it was Derby and Torquay. Uh, it was the best draw we could have got. Um, we, we have a, a tradition in Torquay of either getting knocked out really early, <laughs> sometimes even before the first round, or getting a terrible draw, which means we have to drive somewhere awful and then invariably get beaten. Um, so we were still trying to get through the fourth qualifying round when the draw was made. So we had drawn our first game against Hampton and Richmond at home. We drew 2-2. So we went to their place on the Tuesday, knowing that if we were to get a win, it would be a, a pretty good tie for us. Um, and actually, normally what that means is we're going to get beaten because you get that little bit of glimmer of hope and then it gets taken away from you. Um, typically, we went a goal down. Then we equalised and then we had a man sent off. And we managed to score the winner, I think, with three minutes to go and hang on against a team that from a division lower than us. Um, But I think it's good that you've started with the Torquay game because I think we know it's going to be the big draw for Derby fans over the next couple of weeks. You know, Liverpool will be a bit of a disappointment after coming to play more. Um, But it's it's, it's the best draw we could have had. Like I say, you know, you look at the League One size and there are some big sides in League One. You've got Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich and actually Plymouth would have been good for us because they're from just down the A38. But when Derby came out, we were we were all very pleased. And the financial aspect can't be underestimated because at our level, any television money, which we are going to get, any ticket money, the best result for us would honestly be a draw 
going back to Dub. I mean, I'm sure Dubby fans don't want to hear that, but going back to uh, Pride Park and getting half of that ticket gate receipts would be very handy for us because we have no money. Fair enough. So, Chris, talk me through this because my kind of last conscious thoughts of Torquay was Torquay United not too long ago was a football league club. They're now in the National League, and I think it's pretty safe to say they're struggling this season in the National League, which we're going to talk about later. So what caused um, the decline of Torquay United over the past couple of years? Just sum that up in the next couple of minutes for me. Uh, I mean, it's not really the last couple of years. It's been 10 years. I mean, we it was only three years ago we were playing in the division below. We, we got relegated out of the Football League in uh, my other, you know, the other Torquay fans who are going to hear this are going to, criticize me for getting this wrong but I want to say 2015 maybe um, and we struggled to stay up the following year in the National League the year after that we go down we're in the National League South after a dozen games I think we're 14th and we've been terrible eventually we fire the manager we bring in Gary Johnson who has done everything at this level and from then on it had been tremendous we won the division by the, in that season by about eight points I think um, the next year was the COVID curtail season, so we were just starting to improve. Um, in 2021, we were arguably the best side in the division. Ten points clear at Christmas, and then injury crisis kicked in. Found ourselves in the playoffs, where we lost to Hartlepool in the final on penalties, which hurts me to say because we were the better side in the final. We had two goals disallowed. Our goalkeeper scored an injury time equaliser to send it to extra time. And then he saved the first two penalties in the shootout, and we still lost. Um, and since then it's been struggling I, I don't know, our owner is an individual who's not renowned for actually liking football that much he tends to be involved for the financial side of things and that means redeveloping grounds and building apartments on them um, he's done it at various places in the past at Swindon, I think he tried it at Bristol Rovers um, and so we owe him and his company about £4 million which is a lot um, there's been no suggestion that he's going to pull out, but what we've seen from this season is that the cloth is being cut accordingly. So we don't really have or appear to have much of a budget. Um, what's happened in each of the past two close seasons is five players who have helped us do fairly well have all gone. Um, some took teams within our own division, but last season I think we lost four guys to teams in higher divisions. One went to League One, two went to League Two. Um, and it's it's an attritional nature of football at this level. There aren't ever long contracts, maybe two years. Um, so this season has been very difficult. Uh, we are dead last in the National League. And you have to say it's deserved. Um, there's a lot of talk about whether the manager should be let go and bring somebody in. Um, I don't think I'm at that point just yet because you then have to say, well, who do you bring in? If you haven't got any money... You're going to have to pay the guy to leave, and then you have to bring somebody in probably on more money. How do you, how do you make that, you know, work? Uh, so I think we will stick with Gary Johnson. I think this cup game is at a good time. Um, the financial side of things can't be underestimated. Getting a bit more money in, maybe we can get two new players out of it if it goes well. Um, and I think there is a half decent side in our squad, but they're all very young. And again, we have an injury problem. We've had 
He took a guy on loan from Cardiff City for a year. He had he had now had three broken ribs. He paid money for a guy from another conference team last year. He's been out with concussion. Um, we had a guy get hit in the hip day one. He hasn't really been back since. So I think in the last game, we could only field four subs. We only had four subs on the bench because we didn't have the players. Then we had a man sent off. So unless there's going to be some late announcements over the next few days, we may end up lining up against Derby with only 14 players, which again is a sign of how unfortunate our circumstances have become in the last few weeks. And it makes it very difficult at any level um, to compete with a small amount of bodies. Because like you say, injuries pile up, suspensions pile up, and 14 is not 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 that big of a load, especially when you're trying to, to rotate numbers and, like you say, get out of a bit of the mire that you're in currently in the National League. Um, so, Chris, you seem a very optimistic football fan, despite supporting Torquay. Um, you're bottom of the National League. So, I mean, I, ha- I have to ask this question because it's on my notes. Um, I would assume that the season's obviously not going to plan. Or is this is this what everybody at Torquay United expected because the owner's trying to, to cut costs? Is, is it the hope that you can just finish just above that waterline and avoid relegation? Or is it dead certainty that, that you will not be in the National League next season? I still feel pretty confident that we'll get out of it. I, I think there are some genuinely terrible teams in this division so far we've been one of them um but i think we have scope to improve and there's been times where we've come out of games thinking we've actually been okay like we got beaten six nil at wrexham and the people who were there were like we were really quite good they they had seven shots and scored six of them um and i know that's the refrain of any team that ends up getting relegated like oh if only we'd won a few more games um i think the priority has to be to stay in this division um, when we, we brought in, I think, eight or nine players uh, in July and August before the season started, and they were young players. And the assumption seemed to be within the fan base that we were building a squad that could take on the division next season. Um, I don't know how familiar you are some of the National League teams, but there are some teams who have very large budgets. Wrexham being the prime example, um, if you have Hulu or I think Disney Plus in the UK, you've probably seen the adverts for it. Um, and it's entertaining but also they're paying money for players that teams at our level can't. I mean, they bought, didn't they buy Paul Mullins from a football league club? I think they bought him from he was, yeah, he was or something top. like that. And they paid like 300,000 or something, which yeah. is absolutely mental for a national league side when yeah. you know, it makes he it was, difficult to compete when you have people. Exactly. That amount of cash. Yeah. He was top scorer for Cambridge who got promoted to league one. And then he came to Wrexham and, you know, I think there were legitimate reasons for him. Like it's closer to his house, but also they're paying him a lot of money. Yeah, and, and there've been some, you know, some figures banded around, and you don't want to assume that what you hear on the internet is always true because newsflash, it rarely is true. But even if it's at the lower end of the ranges that we've heard, that's five, six times the amount that most players in this division will be getting. And that's not even to talk about Notts County, who have been tremendous, um, and they could well score another six goals this weekend because we play them away. Um, we have history with them; they've taken a few of our players in the past, and not in particularly nice way so it would be very typical talking to go up there and get a result but we're not really expecting it um so when it comes to the plans you know we kind of hoped that next season would be this season like get Notts County and Wrexham out of the division take that money out of it um it's a very hard division to escape because you have to win the league to go up automatically so in two promotion spots so the next six teams go into the playoffs that can be yeah that's a crapshoot 
Yeah. Um, but if you're relegated to the National League South, doesn't matter how good you are next season, you won't be going to the Football League. Historically, League Two, Division Three or Division Four, as it was when I first started watching them, is probably our level. In a similar way that Derby County fans would probably assume that Championship, possibly the top division, is their natural level. Um, but we haven't really looked close to being there for quite some time. And it's even more galling when Exeter and Plymouth are doing so well. When they're playing good football, they have a really good setup. They're owned very responsibly. And you've got little old Torquay, which is in a part of the country that's quite deprived anyway. Um, and their football team hasn't historically been massively well supported, um, even within Torquay. Um, you can blame the Premier League probably for that. It's the same with a lot of small towns in England. And we're so far away from anywhere comparatively that it's hard to get players to come down here. If you're Oldham, who are in our division, you can get players from Stockport County, who are just around the corner, or even Man City or Manchester United. You probably won't, but you'll get a lot of the people who grew up in that area yeah. to try and get players to come down to us. You either have to pay them a lot of money, which we don't have, or they have to come down with, the, with issues. Um, we have had loan players in the past, tried to get them back. Clubs don't want it because they want their especially their young players want to be trained locally enough so that they can go back to home base when they need them. Yeah. The, the, like, I mean, I remember talking with, um, I had a meeting at Oxford United and I was talking to some of the staff there and they were saying that it's even difficult for a team like Oxford United who were league two at the time, you know, because people, the, the money of the premier league wanting to support those big clubs. Like if you wear an Oxford United shirt, you're going to get bullied at school. So people kind of do that. And then like you say there, in addition to that, you also have the kind of your geographically dispersed away from a major city center or a major population center. So it makes it a little bit more difficult when you're kind of geographically farther away. No one's going to be loaning a player to Torquay because if they want to keep an eye on him or they want them to come and train with the 21s in the week, good luck. That's <laughs> that's a bit bit of a far, a far kind of thing to do. Um, so, Chris, despite... Torquay's poor form, despite them being bottom of the league, you said they brought in some exciting youngsters. So when Derby run out at playing more um, and the fans are there and we turned it on TV from all across the world, because it is a televised game. What kind of, who are the key players who should be looking for? Who's an exciting talent that we need to keep our eye on to make sure um, that, that, that that's, that's kind of the main man for Torquay right now. Um, I think we, we have two strikers, one on loan from Stoke called Will Goodwin, who I think is 21, um, and another one called uh, Aaron Jarvis. And they seem to have struck up a bit of a partnership. Um, Jarvis got sent off in our last game, so he'll miss the game between that game and, and the Derby game. So he should be back for that. They are, they are forming a decent partnership. Jarvis has a really good touch on him and Goodman seems to shoot from anywhere, which honestly we need. But I think the most pivotal player in our team right now actually used to play for Derby County, um, Dean Moxie. He's 37. Dean Moxie, what a yeah. legend. I think he's 37 now and you can absolutely tell he's played at some big clubs and Crystal Palace. Um, and, and it's, he has the experience and the class. Um, he's, you know, he's, his legs aren't there anymore, so he's not really playing left-back like he used to, but we'll probably set up the back three with him on the left side of that back three. And I think that system's been designed so that he can still play um, because he has been hands down our best player this season. Just He brings an element of calm to us, um, even when things aren't going very well. You do see a certain amount of frustration with him 
where he's like, why am I playing with these idiots? <laughs> these guys are useless. Um, and that's probably a bit unfair, but it would not put it, it would not surprise me to see him put one past the Derby goalkeeper just for old time's sake. Um, I don't expect us to, to win the game. I mean, I think I would be, I'm as optimistic as anybody when it comes to talking United, but you have to have a certain amount of realism. Derby are two divisions above us. Their budget is massive in comparison. I know Derby have had their own issues recently, but massive in comparison to us. They'll probably bring 2,000 fans down, which again, is nice. Um, but if we could fluke a draw out of it, and I'm, I'm sure you won't want to hear this because you don't want another game taking away from your League One campaign, but getting to go to Pride Park and getting 45% of that gate would be huge for us. And that would probably set up our budget for the rest of the year. Um, maybe we can bring in some new players rather than have guys sent off in three successive games and have guys with broken ribs who can't play for us, which seems to be our misfortune at the moment. So how will Gary Johnson set up? You mentioned a back three. Um is that kind of the new age back three with the with the with kind of the wing backs? Um, what kind of tactics does Gary Johnson like to play? Is he because when I think of and when I think of National League football, I think of pump it up to the big man, route one direct stuff. But obviously, the game's changing at all different levels, especially when you mention the money that's coming into the league. Um, how's he going to set up? How do they like to play? Do they try to play a possession base? Will they try to maybe try to hit on the counter attack or or just do what they try to do? That they will have to play on the counter-attack. I think 3-5-2 certainly hasn't always been massively popular in the National League. It's really only in the last couple of seasons that it's come in. Um, in the season where we narrowly, you know, didn't quite get promoted, we were playing a 4-4-2. Um, with the personnel that we have, we really have to play a back three. Aside from Dean Moxie, we have two young guys, you know, 21, I think, and 19, the guy on loan from Millwall. They're still learning. Um, we have two fullback or wingbacks, I should say. One, the right called Dylan Crow, who had a very good youth career as a right back. Um, but I think like a lot of youth players, they start to get found out when they get older because they can't defend. <laughs> he was very good going forward. And when you're beating up on teams, you know, you don't necessarily have to defend that much. But when you start playing quote unquote man's football, it becomes very difficult for them. Um, we had a player last season called Dan Martin on the left side. He's actually had ligament trouble so I don't expect him to be fit so on the left side it will be anybody we can find in there we have a pacey player on loan from QPR called Delinda Silva who may go there and we've lacked pace all season um, so I think it'll be a 3-5-2 uh, Goodwin and Jarvis up front and then the other two midfield spots will be Asa Hall who I think is 37 now he's played at a bunch of clubs including Luton um, he's been around for donkey's years and he again has that experienced in class just doesn't really have the legs for 90 minutes anymore and probably Scott Smith or Brett McGavin McGavin is somebody we signed from Kings Lynn last season who or this season who went down last year and he is very talented but he's not quick um he has the turning circle of the Exxon Valdez unfortunately so I, I think it's um we we desperately need pace and there's been some suggestion in the past few days that we could be bringing in some players in time for the Derby game. I don't know if that will be proved to be the case, but it seems likely that we'll have those players on the field. Uh, in goal, we'll have Mark Holstead, who is on a two-year contract. Uh, this is the last, second year of his contract. Last season, he was our starting goalkeeper and we dropped him after five games because he was 
terrible. So bad. And one of those players, you see a guy play with so little confidence, you never think you're going to see him again. And this year, he's been one of the surprises because he's done really well for us. Um, his career has been generally as a backup to league clubs. Um, I think he's 31, which is fairly old for a goalkeeper to be making, you know, to start his starting career. Um, and I think we'll be okay in goal, you know, in the goalkeeping position. But our main issue is that we just can't defend. We we don't have any pace, so we have players getting down the flanks a lot, and then our three central defenders kind of get pulled out of position. Um, sometimes Ali Omar is a guy we signed last season as well, and he's he's actually a favourite of mine. He's not very good, um, but he has such enthusiasm for the game, and you can tell he wants to be a professional footballer so bad. Some of our fans don't seem to think he's, he's actually going to make one, um, but he does tend to get pulled out of position fairly easily. So, you know, there's a certain point at which enthusiasm can overcome positional unawareness. Um, and I think certainly against higher quality sides, you expect that to get found out a lot quicker. Chris, that, I mean, I have the enthusiasm to be a professional footballer too. So maybe we could, maybe I could run at it playing more as well. Cause I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to do it. I mean, I've got so much enthusiasm, but I'm realizing that dream is slowly slipping away. Honestly, if you show up and play more next week with a pair of boots, you might get a game. Things are so bad. <laughs> I, I still play three times a week. Not well, um, but it's, I, you know, I think something needs to change. I don't think it needs to be the manager, but you kind of hope that maybe a little cup run would be a little quick start to the season. Let's just say we get lucky and we get past you. Who knows? Maybe we're hoping that your players will be thinking about playing Liverpool. But that happens. Um, and then we could be by ourselves in the second round and third round against a Premier League team. And that's the kind of, that's why I love the FA Cup. I think it's been devalued in the past 20 years, but... I think for a lower league side, it still has a certain amount of allure and magic. Um, Exeter are near rivals, well, not really rivals in the football field anymore, but they were very close to bankruptcy 20 years ago. They got Man United in the cup uh, and they drew nil nil at Old Trafford and that saved the club. And then in the replay, they lost, but there's a very famous video of their fullback, who's 36, I think, not Megan Ronaldo. And, you know, it's a funny story, but also it's a little bit grating because three weeks prior to that, they were at play more rattling buckets than I was throwing in money. <laughs> so, yeah. How, how fortunes can change very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Chris, two more questions for you and then I'll, and then I'll let you go. Um, when the Derby fans roll up to playing more, um, what can they expect from the stadium? I would assume, my assumption is it's going to be pretty austere. It's not going to be like the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, by any stretch of the imagination. What can they expect when they roll up to playing more? You would be correct. It's not like Tottenham Hotspur. It's, <laughs> it's a lot like the old-fashioned ground. It's built in a residential area. It's not an out-of-town stadium. Um, you know, In the last probably 25, 30 years, a lot of the new grounds have been built outside of towns because that's where the space is. We've been at Plainmore for 120 years, I think. Um, it's a residential area at the top end of town because Torquay is built on five hills uh, and it's on top of one of those hills. Uh, it's a small stadium. I think, it, I think the capacity is officially about 7,000. Um, if we get 6,000, that's considered a sellout. Um, there's one new stand called Bristow's Bench. We had an owner for a few years, the Bristow uh, family, who they'd won the lottery and they bought the club and built a new stand and, and Unfortunately, Paul Bristow, the one of the couple, he passed away. 
and his wife realized that she had to get out of the club because she wasn't going to have any money left. That's how much money you can lose if you decide to buy a football club. So that's a nice stand. Um, the away end is covered, which is not always the case in the National League. It's quite a low um, quite a low roof. The roof went on, I want to say, 15, 16 years ago, maybe a bit more than that. Um, so there'll be good acoustics for the Derby fans. The food is terrible. Um, access that you know don't try and park there because there's nowhere to park if you need to drive down there park in town and get the bus up or walk up the hill it's about two miles up the hill so you'll get your cardio in um but it's it's home um you know i've been i live in the states as as, as you know and i've been here for 16 years and every time i go back to england i try and get to play more because it still has that feeling of home yeah. um and one of the things that the owner keeps talking about is getting a new a new ground and that's cool. I mean, I could see it being a requirement if we ever were at the top end of League Two, but it's perfectly adequate for what we need now. Um, and it's, again, it's it's been around for a long time. I, I don't see us moving out of it anytime soon. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, there's something about it, Chris, when you, you know, it's like when I go to Pride Park, you know, you, you walk, you go through the turnstiles, you walk up and you see the, and then it starts to hit all your senses, right? The The, the, the smells and the, the feeling of anticipation and the excitement of being able to watch a live, you know, watching the live game and, and things like that. So yeah, I can completely understand about that's always somewhere you've got to go when you go back home, because every time I go my, like literally my first stop is at pride park. Like I get off the plane at Birmingham. I go straight to Derby, straight into the stadium and then to my hotel afterward. But yeah, it, it's just that, it's just that little, it's just an exciting thing when you get back and you feel that sense of like, yes, you know, I, I'm kind of here. I'm comfortable in this place. Um, Chris, we, we push all of our guests for this and I'm going to have to push you for this as well. Um, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to ask you for a score prediction and how you think the game's going to go. <laughs> well, I mean, even though I said I'm an optimist, I, I do have to tempt that with an element of realism. I can't see us beating you. I, I think we'll probably lose 3-0. Um <laughs> And, you know, I would love to be proved wrong. But even though I, these glasses that I'm wearing do tend to be tinted with rose quite often, I don't see us getting a result against Derby. Um, I don't see us getting a result against many teams right now, never mind ones from two divisions above. So I will have to say 3-0 Derby. And if if I'm wrong, I will happily show up on Twitter and say, oh, I was wrong, we're in the second round. <laughs> that wouldn't suck. And then you'll subsequently be blocked by our... Twitter page. Oh yeah. They'll be like, subsequently block you. Honestly, that's fine. I mean, I, I think I'm sure I've been blocked by a bunch of people enough, you know, already. Um, I'm amazed that the Rex owners haven't blocked me already. So um, I've had fun with them this year. So yeah, no, I, I, I would love it to be a draw. Like I say that for the club and the future of the club, a draw would be the best result. Um, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I think I think from my perspective, looking at this game, Chris, you know, Darby've got a couple injuries at center half currently. Curtis Davis is going to be out for a few weeks. James Chester is going to be out long term. So we're probably going to have Aaron Cash in, who's been probably our, one of our best players this season so far. Um, and then either Richard, probably Richard Stearman uh, and maybe Jake Rooney as well, probably in a back three, because we also under new manager Paul Warren play with a back three. Um, and what I think is I think it'll be actually – pretty exciting and open game. I do think Darby will win the game. I do think, um, I do think Darby scored three goals, but I can see three, one, three, two, 
because I could see Torquay maybe getting at him a little bit with kind of the younger, the younger loanee players. This is a chance to impress. I'm always weary of the TV games against lower league opposition at whatever, whatever team you're supporting, whatever game I'm watching, whether it's Derby or whoever it is, because this is an opportunity, like you said, for Torquay to put themselves, some of these players in a shop window. Some players might not even have heard of Aaron Jarvis and Will Will Goodwin. Goodwin, yeah. I couldn't read my own writing. And Will Goodwin. (laughs) But this might be an opportunity that they come on. They maybe play really well. They do something and people are like, wow, this lad can play. This is a real opportunity for for Torquay. And it's going to be probably the biggest game that some of these players have played in their young careers so far. Um, And so I can see them being really, really up for this. Playing more, I would assume, would be packed. I know Darby have been traveling well, so... Uh, this season so I would assume Darby would take the full 2,000 2,500 whatever it is contingent uh, to playing more and I can see this being a very very exciting game but I do I do think that Darby um, as, 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 as kind of strange as this season has gone so far for us um, I do I do see Darby running out victors I could see 3-0 but I'd like to see Torquay get a couple of goals to kind of make it interesting so I'm going to go I'm going to go 3-2 but Darby I would be ecstatic with that I think it's um, yeah. I would I would be very happy on the traveling supporters though. I just have remembered that I think there's train strikes that weekend, um, so that the train operator that comes down from the Midlands I think is on strike. I can't remember if it's on strike on the Sunday or the Saturday. That might impact it. But um, yeah, you're right. If our players can't get excited about <laughs> this sort of tie, then they sh- probably shouldn't be professional footballers. Um, although if we keep playing as we are, they won't be for much longer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, Chris, I will uh, I will let you go. I want to thank you for your time um, chatting with me, learning a little bit about the history of Torquay. I'm really looking forward to this game, and and hopefully we can keep in touch. And um, I hope we don't have to talk at a replay because I think it's an unnecessary game that an already thin Derby squad uh, mm. don't need. Um, but it should be an exciting game. It's been a pleasure to meet you and, and chat with you about about this match. Um, and hopefully we'll see Torquay back in the football league sooner rather than later. Oh, I hope so. But thank you, Corey. I've enjoyed it. Our thanks go out to Chris. And just to update that, because I spoke to Chris a couple of days ago, Torquay won 6-1 tonight against Outershot. So, um, yeah, their form's not been great. They're sitting at the foot of the table, but they won 6-1 again tonight. So, Hopefully that hopefully they've used up all their goals for the month. Uh, that's all I can say. Um, Cause we don't want any potential banana skins at playing more. Cause um, you know, a cup run would be nice. Wouldn't it, Chris? We've not had a cup run for a while. We're in league one. Um, I know we're out of the Papa John's trophy, which I'm disappointed. We're not going to get a slice of that. Yeah, I see what you did. Yeah. Right. Okay. It. I was yeah, just I pausing that there it. for the laugh track. Move, move on. Uh, I got it. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So this is this is the question, Chris and Jack. Do we need a cup run in the FA Cup? Or are we better to obviously not lose to Torquay, get to the second round, maybe the third round, and then graciously bow out to one of the big boys and focus on getting out of League One? Or does the cup run pl- provide is the cup is a cup run an unnecessary distraction? Or can it be a good thing to foster uh that winning mentality? Yeah. Well, I think um well, any other year, I would have said to you categorically, 
you you try and win every. I hate it when we put weakened teams. I understand it, but I hate it when we put out weakened teams in cup games. Um, I think this year he's got to be really careful because you know for. We don't well, have a weekend team, Chris. We've only got like 15 players. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But he's got to, <laughs> that's why I'm saying he's got to really be super careful here because I think there's a chance. So there's an obvious chance to build momentum. You know, as you say, Turkey, uh, uh, non league, they don't do very well. Um, they've only so, got, 12, I think they've only got 14 players on the books, like yeah. entirely. Yeah. And then again, you know, for some, you look at someone like Collins, good chance for him to go bash a few goals in, take him off, you know, get your confidence up, something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, again, it's this sort of, yeah, you know, you look at Jason Knight playing against Man City under 21s, then you lose him for a month and you're like, oh man. Um, so it's tricky, it's super tricky. I think, um, yeah, I mean, again, for me, dream ticket, beat them on Sunday with a, you know, whoever we put out, hopefully not the first team. And then I think that gives us another game at the back end of November. I mean, if we, um, and then, yeah, win that one and then bow out gracefully and maybe get on TV and get some money to the dream ticket. But, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be crying if we lost on Sunday, I've got to say, for the probably the first time in my life. Yeah, Jack, similar sentiments there? Yeah, so, I mean, just this is worth mentioning for anyone who doesn't know. The game is on TV in the UK, actually. It's on, it's on the it's on TV ITV. in the US as well. Is it? After It is. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, as, as Chris says, it's a... It is a distraction. Some sometimes it's welcome one, sometimes it's not. Um, and I think in this situation, as you pointed out, Corey, we don't really have a weakened team. I mean, I I'd, I'd quite like us to, you know, in an ideal world, we obviously go for it. And yeah, I quite like us to go for it in terms of what we can on on Sunday, but it's it's very limited. I mean, if we do get through to the second round, I can tell you that I believe that would be played in the the last weekend of November when there is not because there aren't any leagues. Yeah, because there's a bit of a break. I think it's yeah, mid-November so, to December 1st. We have about 15 days off for the World Cup as well. So um well yeah so there's the but there's, there's this game away yeah. on the 18th of November, Sheffield Wednesday on the 3rd of December. So but that game, I guess the FA Cup game could slot in somewhere. In that kind of empty week, but it gives you a bit of time to, to kind of sort things out, doesn't yeah. it? And that'd be around the, uh, the the crunch match, plus the grudge match between, um, well, where you all have divided loyalties as well. So that'd be that'd be interesting if it does fall. Then that'd be an interesting podcast. But yeah, um, yeah the other question for me as well for, for Torquay is, as well as the players, what sort of system do we go with? I'm guessing, well, you know, with the lack of centre backs, that we we've, we've kind of stumbled across this back four that we've we've then been playing, and it it's done well. So it's do we stick with that going forward? I mean, one say in January can't come quick enough. I mean, we obviously need a right back as well as Corey Smith's form filling in the last couple of games. Same thing said about Jason Knight at the start of the season. But um but yeah, what what does he look for now? Because yeah, I mean Roberts, that's the first time they pointed out on the radio. That's the first time he's played two games in a row all season, started two games in a row. So, you know, but but again. Who have we got at centre-back and left-back? One of him or Forsyth will almost certainly have to play on Sunday, for example. Hopefully, um, it's, hopefully it's good Craig Forsyth centre-half and not bad Craig Forsyth centre-half. Because when he's good, he's really good. And when he's bad at centre-half, it ain't pretty. <laughs> That's the thing with all defenders, though, right? They, it's like it's like goalkeepers. It's like when me trying well, to defend in my, in my Friday night league. It's not pretty. 
Yeah, guys, just to back that put up, the, the class example tonight was was where he put that um, laser beam ball through for Sula's miss, Yeah, slide rule through 60 yards, and then I think there was one where someone rolled the ball to him with about five minutes to go, and he just kind of uh, just sliced it into the crowd. I don't never even know what never changed, Fozzie. I don't even never know what changed. he was trying to do. He just literally kicked it out the ground for no real reason. It was just <laughs> odd, but uh, yeah, wild. And 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 to your point, Chris, about people getting injured before we transition into the other midweek game that we have for the cup. Um, remember against Accrington Stanley in the FA Cup a couple of years ago? That's when we thought playing Accrington Stanley was a joke, and now we're in the same league as them. Uh, and Mason Mount got hurt, and then that basically we didn't win again for like five yeah. weeks until he got back from his hamstring. So I understand exactly what you're saying with the need to kind of protect some of our more key players. And if we, if we bow out, we bow out. But with that being said, let's move over to the next segment where we preview the Liverpool Carabao cup game with the Anfield rap and Josh Sexton. As promised Rams fans, um, I'm here with Josh Sexton of the Anfield rap to discuss the Derby Liverpool game on Wednesday, next midweek for the Carabao cup. Josh, First of all, welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. How the heck are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. Good to be on here and good to be talking about a game that doesn't feel like it's got so so much riding on it uh, for, for Liverpool in, in terms of the stakes we've had in the Premier League this season. This, this should be a, a nice little break, this one. Yeah, and pretty much every game for Liverpool this season has seemed kind of like a big one. And before we get into the game, Josh, um, I think it's pretty safe to say from the outside looking in, Liverpool are probably not in the position that they probably should be in the league or they expect it to be in the league. I know um, they, they're not as imperious as they have been in the past um, bar the COVID season a couple of years ago. So I think the first place to start is why, why is that? I mean, I know Luis Diaz is injured. We know Diego Jota is injured. We know the back line of Kanate and Matip have been injured. The midfield has been kind of unbalanced with Keita and Jones being out. Some players are starting to come back. What do you put it down to? Can you put it down to injuries or is it just this team has been performing and setting such high standards for so long that any drop off is going to be massively noticeable? I think it's sort of a plethora of things, to be honest. I don't think there's like, it, I really wish there'd be like one reason why Liverpool weren't doing well, because if it was the injuries, then when we've had players fit, you'd have expected Liverpool to have got results, but that's that's not been the case. Um, I think it's, it's, it's tough because Liverpool were, were, were so so good last season obviously chasing down <clears throat> a, a historic quadruple and sort of saw that unravel in, in the last week of the season and I think going into the season Liverpool fans were expecting Liverpool to, to put that right and that doesn't necessarily mean you know go and win the quadruple next time it means you know making sure they would go and win the league next time or or, or if they get to the Champions League final and get in that same position making sure they'd go on and win that and sort of do the job ultimately and and to to be so so short in the league obviously was secured progression in the Champions League which has been sort of the one positive of the season so far but to be so so short in the league has has been massively disappointing there's there's no sort of two ways about that and it could be that there is some mental fatigue from from last season and maybe a bit of sort of I don't know almost like emotional damage I, I, I think that's like the wrong thing or probably overdoing it but like there's, there's it's a bit in the players minds that they came so close last season and ultimately failed and maybe that is playing on a few minds and has maybe caused a few of them to, to feel a bit sort of downtrodden going into this season but we started the season so well with the community children over Manchester City and I think that only heightened expectations so to be in the position that we're in now as you say is is sort of massively under under expectations for us and has, and has been massively disappointing so far. And one of the players, I mean, obviously Liverpool's gone a little bit of an evolution as well because um, we know that long-term forward Sadio Mane left to Bayern Munich, which 
I'm sure is extremely disappointing for a lot of Liverpool fans. I know someone who enjoys watching high-level games. It's disappointing for me because he was at such a high level and worked so well with the other front three, whether that be Firmino and Salah or whoever would play that Firmino position. And kind of the player that they brought in to replace him was Darwin Nunez. Um, and I think, I think to be fair, maybe some people have unfairly criticized Darwin Nunez, and that's why I want to get your take on it. He was brought in for big money from Benfica because he, he, I wouldn't say he ripped Liverpool a new one, but he played quite well in the game, especially at Anfield. Um, we knew he had great success, and we knew that they had they had played well. Uh, Luis Diaz had played well in Portugal, and so was Darwin News, and so you were kind of hoping he can have that same kind of Luis Diaz effect. Um, but after his first couple of games, he head-butted Joachim Anderson, which, you know, it was a bit soft, but they made contact. He got suspended, and I think from then on, he was kind of under pressure to 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 do it. But when you look at the stats, I think he's got the same amount of goals with half the minutes as Gabriel Jesus, and everyone's thinking Gabriel Jesus is the second coming of, well, his namesake. Um <laughs> But talk to me through Darwin Nunez. Is he is he a player that is struggling or is he a player that is still finding his feet as Liverpool try to go to the post-Sadio Mane era and try to figure out what this new dynamic of the front three are going to look like? The funny thing is, it's, it's almost a bit of a misconception that he is the Sadio Mane replacement. Like, I, I, I understand it from the optics of, you know, Darwin coming in the same summer as Sadio Mane. But really, in essence, Luis Diaz was, was the Sadio Mane replacement. He was he was the player to come in and naturally play off, off the left-hand side. Obviously, Mane had sort of started to transition into into a number nine position towards the back end of his Liverpool career. But that was more so because Diaz had come in and impressed so much. And it was a way of getting the best out of both of those players and making sure that front three was still as, as free-flowing as it's ever been and maybe we have been missing a bit of that and Darwin has, has, has really took a you know I was going to say it took a bit of time to find his feet the goals have still been there but in terms of performances and that kind of thing it, is, it has taken him a little while and taken this Liverpool side a little while I think to, to adapt to, to Darwin being there and to Mane not being there and it not being quite a sort of natural and free-flowing in, in that front line and obviously the, the, the headbutt in the Crystal Palace game didn't help it definitely didn't help some people's perceptions of him either I know Liverpool fans are still to this day, quite divided on him, really, even though he, he is starting to pick up in terms of performances and goals. Now, I think there's some people who perceive the madness that, that comes with him to, to be a bit too much in the early stages. There's some people who, you know, want to embrace the madness and, and, and are all sort of behind that. And obviously, there's been Liverpool players in the past who've been sort of full of that madness and able to channel it in, in the right ways. And, and he is a player that we still believe I think can can do that it's just about sort of finding that recipe which make means that we're getting the best out of the team as well as Darwin and maybe that's where Liverpool have sort of fallen short so far is just finding that that correct formula that we you know we had over so many years with, with Sadio Mane and that's why I think some people perceive that we have been you know missing him instead of maybe looking at some of the other sort of deeper issues almost like the easy thing to do is to go oh Liverpool must be must be missing Sadio Mane and I, I, I wouldn't say that's really you know quite been the case because the goals have still been there for Liverpool it's been that you know Liverpool have been able to maybe not defend as well from the front and maybe that is where there's, there is a case for Sadio Mane to be missing but there's been obviously chopping and changing in the midfield there's been some some you know a comedy of errors really in terms of the the defensive line as well so there are sort of wider issues than that. And Josh, before I talk about a couple of players and then we move on to the game, one more point is we, we keep reading in the paper that, like you said there, Liverpool last year went for the quadruple. They ultimately fell a little bit short in the league due to some epic comeback by City on the last day. Um, and then, you know, didn't quite do it in the Champions League as well. But they, the quadruple was on for a long time, which was historic in and of itself to just be in four competitions for that period of time. But now... A lot of people in the press are talking about like Liverpool need a serious rebuild. Um, is it a rebuild? Is it an evolution that this squad needs? And uh, we know that they want Jude Bellingham. 
do you see this rebuild taking place? Obviously, it's difficult in winter, but do you where do you see this rebuild starting and taking place? And how many players do Liverpool need to, as people think, to try to get back to the level that they were at just last season? I'm pleased that you've said about the the idea of an evolution. To be fair, because I think that that is more so what is what is needed. I think it's really easy to jump straight away and say, "Oh, it needs a rebuild," and, and there's aging players there. But there's aging players, you know, as you say, who were so so good and and still as imperious as ever for Liverpool last season. And don't believe that over one summer or you know a few months, those those legs and, and minds have dropped off enough for Liverpool to be you know not able to still challenge for for the biggest honours. Obviously, they've not been able to sort of start the league season so well. Obviously they've got the World Cup coming up, you'd hope that when Liverpool come back from that, some of that fatigue has, has, has sort of dropped off and maybe the players are more switched on and, and, and in their rhythm. But I think it's just an evolution. It needs it needs Liverpool to sort of bolster the squad again. We lost a lot of... One of the understated things about the summer, you know, aside from sort of losing Sadio Mane, is that we lost Divock Origi, Minamino. There was, there was a couple of players over, over the course of the summer who had been so, so important to the squad and so important to that quadruple push as well. I, I, I can count, you know, kept the, well, there are countless goals that Divock Origi and, and Takumi Minamino scored for Liverpool last season in the cup competitions, which sort of sustained that push on, on, on all four fronts. And that is the, the benefit of having a deeper squad. And Liverpool haven't really been able to, to have that this season, partly due to injury issues, but you know, partly because there's a few players there who either have proven that they're not quite of, of the level to play for Liverpool or proven that their fitness is not quite of, of the level to put up the, with the demands of playing for Liverpool probably be the more sort of fair assessment of it. So uh, I think it's just an evolution. It's it's getting rid of some of those players who've proven that they're, they're injury prone and maybe their fitness is not quite where we need it to be. Bringing in more players of that calibre and bringing in more players of a certain age profile that, you know, not necessarily the youngsters like Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones type age, but in between there and, and then the Virgil van Dijk's and Salas who, who are getting on towards 30 now. We just need some of those like mid-20s guys who are coming into their peak. You know, the similar sort of players of the profile of when we first signed Sadio Mane and, and Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah around that sort of age. And Josh, before we talk about the game, I want to talk about a player because I love this player and this player has took a lot of criticism this year. And I'll be the first one to admit that their levels have probably not been at the level that they've been at in the past. But I do think that they get some unfair criticism and this person is massively overlooked by England. I haven't played for him for nearly a year, but I'm hopeful they're going to be on the plane to Qatar. Talk to me about Trent Alexander-Arnold and explain to me why he's the best fullback in the world. And also a little bit about his troubles this season. <laughs> I, I would go further than saying he's the best fullback in the world. I think he's one of the best playmakers in the world. He's, he's probably only prevented by the fact that um, that City have got a, a player called Kevin De Bruyne, who people may not know. Um, he's, he's, he's also very good at, at the old playmaking and getting assists and stuff. I think Trent is just an absolute unicorn of a footballer. He's, he's genuinely been such a breath of fresh air for us as Liverpool fans to watch over recent years, not only because he's a local lad, which is obviously something that Liverpool fans are, are so, so proud of and, and really pride themselves on. I know Jurgen Klopp is really sort of proud of that as well. He's, he's been quoted in the past as saying if he could have a team of 11 scousers, you know, if there was 11 scousers who were good enough to play for Liverpool and make Liverpool challenge for the biggest honours than they would, and I believe Trent Alexander-Arnold absolutely fits that bill and always has done. He's, he's, he's asked to do different things than a traditional fullback would be and maybe that's why someone like Gareth Southgate will look at a Kieran Trippier or a Reese James and say, Oh, they're better all round footballers as as he put it in his in his own words. I, I can understand that because they are asked to do more defensive things, Gareth Southgate will look at them in a simplistic way and say they are better defenders. But Trent Alexander Arnold is, is is the sort of footballer who I I don't see how you could not take him in that World Cup squad and, and there's obviously been a couple of injury issues now which means he probably will make it on the plane to Qatar but I'd, I'd still be surprised if he was 
starting for England in, in, in the World Cup. And, and that, to me, is, is absolutely baffling because the things that you can do on a football pitch, the things that you can do with a football, the difference that you can make in games. We've seen it, you know, countless times for Liverpool down the years. One of, one of the sort of biggest moments of, of Liverpool's, well, recent history is, is that goal against Barcelona where Trent takes the corner quickly. And that's Trent's, you know, inventive thinking. It's the delivery of the pass. It's, it's having that vision to sort of see that being being on and, and being able to create that moment for Liverpool. So I, I don't see how anybody could, could be, you know, slaughtering Trent Alexander-Arnold to the extent that he's, that he's getting slaughtered. He's asked to do different things. He's asked to do more going forward and less defensively. And, he, and he's been sort of exploited because of that. I think he's got in his own head about that as well. I think maybe there's been a, a couple of times where he's overthought that and his decision-making hasn't been great. I can think of the the Arsenal game as one such time where the eyes were on him and, and he made the wrong mistake. But that's, you know, that's going to happen. Ultimately, he's still, you know, a 24-year-old player, which is which is unbelievable to say, considering all of these achieved in football so far. But um, we, we don't have any concerns about Trent Alexander-Arnold. We know that he's going to be absolutely fine. And Hopefully, uh, hopefully, whoever is the next England manager when Gareth Southgate inevitably gets sacked after after a disappointing World Cup campaign, uh, we'll see that in him. I mean, it, it's one of those things that I think when people look at and they go, Trent Alexander is not, you know, great defensively. Then you're looking at it under a microscope. And if you look at any player under a microscope, if I say Darwin Nunez has an anger problem and every time he approaches the referee, I'm like, look, he's got an anger problem. Or, you know, Jordan Henderson yells at his teammates all the time. Like you can... You know what I mean? You can pinpoint and then all of a sudden it feeds the narrative that you have been reading in the paper, in the press. And it's like, maybe that's not it because all these players make mistakes um, and they're not exacerbated to that level. And I, I just find it hilarious with these with these injuries now coming in. Zara Southgate must be sitting at home, like just pouting, like, oh, I have to pick him now. There's nobody else. Like, I just get this wonderful image of Gareth Southgate, like being forced to pick one of the best players in world football into his team because he somehow doesn't do it. One more uh, name, Josh, before we move on to the game. Joe Gomez, does he make the England squad? He's been, I know he's made a couple of mistakes in the last couple of games, um, notably the halfway line where he pulled the guy down, they scored from the subsequent free kick, and there was one in the previous game as well. Um, does he make the England squad because they're a bit short on center halves, and, and I really rate the lad. I would like to believe there is a world in which Joe, Joe Gomez does make the England squad. I think, unfortunately, because of some of those mistakes, but also just in terms of, of game time, I think he, he probably still remains Liverpool's fourth choice centre half when when all of the options are, are fit. And I think that's the way that you know England and Gareth Southgate would look at it. They'd look at it as as, as a sort of run of games. And I know Harry Maguire was dropped by United at the, uh, early on in the season, but since Varane's injury, he's playing for Manchester United again. And I think that would be a massive breath of fresh air for Gareth Southgate because obviously he's he's tried and trusted with Maguire he's, he, he knows exactly what Harry Maguire is going to give him week in week out in, 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 in that World Cup campaign or, or game in game out in that World Cup campaign and I think that's why he would still be the one who'd be starting probably alongside John Stones if, if they are fit and then I think there'd be a few more players who've been in and around the England set up that he'd, that he'd look to try and pick over Gomez from there as I say I'd love to believe there is a world in which Joe Gomez gets picked because I, I I can look at it from the Liverpool point of view and say oh I'd rather Trent and Joe Gomez didn't travel I'd rather they had you know four weeks of rest and then two weeks of training with Liverpool maybe play a few friendlies in there but um, I, I know how much it means to to these lads to be able to go away and, and play with England I've, I've, I've you know we've visibly seen that with Trent that as soon as the sort of whole thing came around and Gareth Southgate was being asked about it in the press it, it looked, looked like it noticeably had an effect on Trent and I think that that would be exactly the same for Joe Gomez if he is if he ends up playing enough regular games and putting in good enough performances to, to for him to think that he can make it to the World Cup and then he doesn't that's going to be a disappointment for him and, and you know conversely if he does make it to the World Cup that'll be a massive achievement for him so um, I'd like to believe there's a there's a world in which both of those two do get picked and, and and even you know make the first team 
on a regular enough basis. But um, I don't see a world in which Joe Gomez uh, is picked in the squad. And I don't see a world in which Trent, although he may travel with the squad due to injuries, I don't see a world in which he's the starting right back for England. And that that's very disappointing. I think I think Gareth Southgate has posters of Harry Maguire in his bedroom because he just seems like <laughs> that guy no matter what he does. Um, he could mug his own mother and he'd, he'd still get in the squad. And also, Josh, before we move on to the game, World Cup, it's really weird having it in winter. Like, it feels like it's kind of in the way rather than a showpiece occasion. And I know Ben Chilwell got injured last night and there's so many injuries coming in and out. It just, it just seems a very weird time to be having the World Cup. I'm, I look forward to it. I'll enjoy watching it, but it's also a bit strange. And also, you know, Darby will play some League One games in there during the World Cup. So I'll go from like watching four screen rovers to like watching, you know, Argentina. It'll be very weird, very weird month for me uh, coming up. Um, but Josh, let's move our attentions to the game. Uh, England, or sorry, not England, Derby County last played Liverpool. Um, trying to get the date here. It actually, they last played in 2016. So it's been a while since our two teams have met. Uh, the teams have changed quite a bit since then. So talk to me about your first thing, what we said when we first started. You said this for the first time in a long time seems like a game that Liverpool will go into with very little pressure. Um, talk to me about Liverpool's mindset in this game. They're expecting to get to the Carabao Cup final again, I would assume, right? Not necessarily, and, and that's it's not to say that Liverpool won't want to win the Carabao Cup. I think Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp has come out since and sort of said that you know if 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 anybody thought that Liverpool didn't care about the Carabao Cup, they only have to look at the scenes after after the final whistle at Wembley to realise that's that's definitely not the case. I think Liverpool will will want to secure progression in the Carabao Cup. However, they won't want to overextend themselves and particularly the first team players who are already you know sort of mentally and physically fatigued from from all the challenges of last season and all the challenges that this season has already posed and of course the win a winter world cup coming up making things sort of even stranger in in that sense he, he won't want to risk any of those players getting injured even further so i think liverpool will 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 take it seriously in the sense of there's there's a bit of a a false narrative about liverpool and some of the sides they've, they've played down the years where liverpool will just field a team of you know absolute children to play against uh, League One and League Two sides, especially if it, if it happens at Anfield, but it's not really actually been the case. The only two times Liverpool have played a, a completely rotated side and even sometimes rotated the manager has been the one time where um, they were away for the FIFA Club World Cup and one time where it, it, they were scheduled for a winter break and the FA decided that they were going to put uh, an FA Cup replay against Shrewsbury at Anfield um, in, in that winter break time and Jurgen Klopp wanted to honour the winter break for his players so they've been the only two times where Liverpool have completely rotated so I still think it will be a strong Liverpool eleven. Um, I just don't think it will be the strongest Liverpool eleven. And, and there's a few players that I've already got earmarked as as, as absolute must not plays in in this Derby County game. But Liverpool wants to win it ultimately, and Jurgen Klopp will want to win it, and the, he will field a side which which will hopefully be able to go and win that game. And Josh, talking about those big names, who do you who do you think as 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 someone who covers Liverpool and watches all their games, who do you think? Um, when we show up to Anfield and we're, and we're watching the game and everything, what big names will be on display uh, that Derby County players can go toe-to-toe with? I mean, are we looking at the likes of Virgil van Dijk or are we looking more of resting Virgil and playing someone like a Joe Gomez, someone like a, a Maya Kanate who's coming back from injury? What kind of big names could we expect to see? Because Liverpool have been hit by injuries and they can't rest everybody. I think it would be a good chance to rest Virgil van Dijk and, and Mo Salah. I think they're the two who've who've had to sort of go over and over again week in week out this season and I think they're the two who who you know haven't really got much opportunity for rest I think Salah gets a rest at Rangers away and then comes off the bench and and scores a hat-trick and that was sort of all well and good and nice for him to to get that rest but it, it, it would be nice to see him get 
that again, to be honest, and, and maybe even not be a part of the squad. I don't know if Jurgen Klopp would sort of go that far with it with with the rest. He'd maybe want him on the bench in case Liverpool find themselves in in, in trouble in the game, which is which is entirely possible given the way Liverpool have, have played this season. But um, I think it would be it would be a nice opportunity for for those two players in particular to get a rest. A rest. I think Fabinho and Firmino as well would be the two that I'd say need to really you know stay clear of this Derby County game. I'd be happy for again both of them to be on the bench, but. Um, I'd like to see them not start in this game because they are two who I think have, have started to wear that physical and mental fatigue more so and more so as, as the weeks have gone on because they're constantly being asked to play 90 minutes almost or, or but 90 minutes. Um, and, they're, and they're two players who, you know, Firmino has been great this season and scored plenty of goals, but he's, he's, he's one of the ones who, one of the ones on the Liverpool side who I think wears the fact that he's aging more than maybe anybody else. And that, you know, that includes side that has James Milner, who, you know, is, is subhuman with the way that he just doesn't show signs of age. And I think Roberto Firmino is, is showing some of those signs. Fabinho has been really sort of off colour this season. I think probably just needs an extended rest. I think it may be, may be a blessing in disguise if he doesn't make it to the World Cup with Brazil due to his poor form, although, again, it would be sort of a, a disappointment for him personally. So I think they'd be the four that I don't want to see playing in this one, but then that leaves, you know, a, a number of spots open for some of the bigger players. I think there's a, there's a good chance that Darwin starts um, against Derby unless he wants to sort of draft in an academy striker. It's it's a position of, of it's an area of the field, the, the forward line where Liverpool are, are relatively short at the moment due to injuries with Diogo Jota being out, with Luis Diaz being out, and, and there's not sort of much of that in the academy setup either. There's maybe Leighton Stewart, who who would suggest that he's knocking on the door for for at least a place on the bench. I, w- I wouldn't imagine he'd get a start against Derby County in, th- in the League Cup third round at Anfield, though, so I'd imagine Darwin would start this one. Um, I'd imagine there's probably a place for somebody like Jordan Henderson in this one as well. And then I think I'd, I'd be rotating the goalkeeper and, and the whole back line if I was Jurgen Klopp. Could we potentially see Cade Gordon? I know he had played once for Derby before his move to Liverpool. Uh, we know he's been doing well. And I also know that he, I think he's been struggling with a bit of an injury so far this season because he did was on the bench a little bit last season as well. Uh, is this a game that Cade Gordon could potentially make his kind of first team comeback in? I don't think he's going to be available, to be honest. There's, there's, there's been a bit of a, a sort of freak issue with, with Cade Gordon that Liverpool have, have been trying to sort of keep a monitor on, which is basically because he's a lad who's growing. Obviously, it's an issue that, that, that teams have with, with young players in particular, and it's caused some sort of pelvic issue with him, which has kept him out for, for you know the best part of a year now, and it looks like it's going to keep him out beyond the sort of World Cup break as well. It looks like he'll, he'll be out till the new year, which is a massive blow because this will be a game, you know, which would mean a lot to him personally, of course, but would, would also Liverpool would have him absolutely earmarked for. There was, these were the games last season where he was getting regular game time for, for Liverpool in the, in the first team in the sort of early stage of the League Cup and FA Cup. So, yeah, it would be a massive shame to be without Kate Gordon for this one, but I, I can't see a world in which Liverpool are able to get him back. And so, Josh, I have to push you because we push all of our guests for this. Um, we've got the Cowboy Cup. It's at Anfield, under the lights, Derby and Liverpool. Give me a, give me a score prediction here. With it being a mixed match team, I think Liverpool will have to sort of suffer in, in, in moments in this game and be prepared to put up with the fact that Derby will probably go, I'd imagine, stronger in this one in, in the way that generally sort of, you know, Championship League 1, League 2 sides would do in, in, in these early stages of the League Cup to try and sort of secure progression that they will they will have just naturally be a team that has more rhythm is is sort of more tactically on on the same page so I think Liverpool will have to suffer in moments but I'm hoping uh, there'll be more than enough quality on the pitch for Liverpool to to get through this one so I'm going to go with a 2-0 win to Liverpool fair enough 
Fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, Josh, Darby don't have very many players to to continue to chop and change. So should be an interesting game. I'm looking forward to it. As I told you before we recorded, my mom, although she also likes Darby, she does watch every single Liverpool game. So I probably will have to watch the game with her, which will not be fun uh, because she'll she'll be wearing her jersey and she'll have her bobbleheads and she'll scream and shout at the TV, which is fine because my mom's a, a great lady. But uh, sometimes, especially when they're playing Darby, don't know if I can handle that. Josh Sexton from the Anfield Wrap. Josh, thanks for spending the last half hour or so with me uh, chatting about the match. Really appreciate it, mate, and I hope we can catch up soon. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. Our thanks to Josh and the Enfield rap for that one. Um, gents, I'm really excited for this game because my mom is a Liverpool supporter for all of her. All of, my mom's a lovely, lovely lady, but she supports Liverpool and that's okay. So I watch quite a bit of Liverpool. I'm excited for the game at Anfield. I know Darby sold at the allocation, I believe like 5,200 people um, or something, something like that. Uh, so it should be a, a good atmosphere. It'll be interesting to see how many Liverpool first teamers play. I would assume with all their injuries that they are having. Uh, yeah, cry me a river with that. Um, that they will still have some, you know, they always still play a couple first teamers. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, which of the four, whether it's Matip, I think he's out injured. So Gomez, uh, Kunate, or or maybe Van Dyke play, maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold, the best right back in the world, will potentially play. Um, I would imagine they'd probably switch out the goalkeeper for Kelleher. Um, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. And it'll be a good litmus test, won't it, Chris? Because this is kind of a free hit. Nobody expects us to go out there and win. Um one other player, potentially Cade Gordon. I'd love to see him play against Derby. But Chris, to that point, it, it's it's a bit of a litmus test, isn't it? Because nobody expects us to win against Liverpool. We can go out, have a bit of fun, have a bit of fun. Maybe somebody makes a name for themselves, puts themselves in potentially a shot window for January. Um, and if we lose, I don't think anybody is real too chuffed about it anyway. Because again, it's extra games and we're not going to win the Carabao Cup anyway. Is that, is that your similar sentiments? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm super excited about it because I'm going. <laughs> oh, wow. There we go. Fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a party night, that is, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, um, I'll tell you what's interesting about it. it. It is a party night. And, you know, again, you speculate about who they're going to play and who they won't. I mean, the team they put out against Forest two weeks ago was a disgrace. So I think, you know, if they put anything like that team out against... Oh, you mean the uh, Forest team was a disgrace? No, uh, the team that Liverpool <laughs> no, I put out against it was <laughs> shocking. But um, but anyway, the uh, the point being that I think, you know, it's almost a moot point who they play because, you know, their under-21 team uh, are going to be, uh, you know, they're all world-class players, aren't they? So um, I think... Um, I think it'd be a, a good night. I think I, what it reminds me of, though, is, you know, you think to the start of the Lampard era where it wasn't really firing and people had not really got going. And then we won that game at Man U and it was the feel-good factor off that when we beat them was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can maybe do something like that and, you know, not as I say, I'm not four minutes suggesting we go there and win, but um, it's not the Berlin Rebels of possibility because I think it goes straight to penalties at 90 minutes. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think we just go there, like you say, big crowd, it's a free hit, it'll be a laugh. And uh, yeah, you know, if we can stay in the game and get a result, you know, or even just put up a show, you know, it's just a really good uh, opportunity to uh, just to have a bit of a feel good factor, really, I think. And uh, as long as it doesn't go catastrophically wrong, then uh, I, don't, I don't really see uh, how, how, uh, how there's going to be any sort of bad outcome at all. Yeah, and Jack, I mean, we might as well start on the front foot and play with no fear. 
um, and really give them a game. I mean, similar sentiments to Chris, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, I think it is. It's one of those. It's a bit of free hit. You just go for it. I think the other, what this, I was saying to my dad earlier, what this uh, next couple of fixtures both uh, uh, shows is the the kind of the beauty of the cup, right? So we're, we're in League One. We're playing a national, struggling National League side. And then, what, three days later, it's one of the best sides in the world over the last few years. And it's it's that sort of thing and that, that hope it gives you as well of, well, you know, we with the like promotion relegation, you know, we could be playing these in a few years and all of that that we I guess it's all all that sort of thing as well that we fought to protect, right? To have these big nights when, you know, when the club needed to be saved. And this is the first one since that that's a massive event. It's also, you know, as I say, the, the hope of looking and wanting to be where they are one day is something as there's more talk about the Super League coming back again. It's something you know, around promotion, relegation, all of that. It, it's the same thing as a lot of the teams this season that um, have been in their, you know, in the pre-match programmes. It was the same tonight, apparently. When we, when Derby go to, to visit somewhere like Morton or Atherington, and it's that play in a big, big name, there's some big names in the squad, you know, it's, it's huge. And it's just, it is just fun. It's just, unless it goes, as Chris says, horribly wrong, um, it's just a, a night where you kind of you're not really bothered about the results. You don't you don't expect anything, but yeah, we get to see how they how they compare, don't we? So it's and it's a good place as, as Chris says he's going. Wrong people going. It's a, another great grounds for people to pick off. I mean, we've had a few in the last few years. If we could have another moment or another great goal like that Harry Wilson free kick at Old Trafford, I think yeah, that, that was free kick. That was that one, wasn't it? Um, you know, that's that's what this is about. This this is what football's about. Getting that, getting to go up against some of these teams. I miss Harry Wilson every single day. Oh yeah, you saying in a Derby shirt? I miss him every single day. But yeah. how great is it going to be, guys, when Aaron Cashin lays Darwin Nunez out? Like <laughs> straight in, boom! Welcome to England, and Nunez is all he's just gone for the game because he can't deal with Aaron Cashin. And Aaron Cashin gets home and he picks Darwin out of his back pocket. And he's like, boom, there you go. That's going to be amazing. And it would be also very, very Darby to lose to Torquay and then go and beat Liverpool. That would be yes. so Darby County. Yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. just peak Darby County, that would be. But um, I'm excited for both of these cup games. I think there is some magic to, to, to the cup competitions, especially the FA Cup in particular. And I don't think yeah. it's as valued by some of the teams as what it should be. Um, yeah. But it's a really special opportunity for us. We haven't been in the first round in a long time to to go on a bit of a cup run. And then, as Chris said, graciously bow out and concentrate on our promotion um, out of this division. But I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I'm like, Jack, what you just summed up there. I mean, these are what we fought to save this football club for, were to have nights under the lights at Anfield and, and some of the top grounds and some of the best teams in the world. So if Darby can go there, that like you said, this is the first big game this is the first big stadium this is the first big team that we're going to be playing since under the new ownership since all the catastrophic stuff of the last 18 months so it's going to be an incredibly emotionally charged night um and i just hope we go and give it a go and, and don't completely embarrass ourselves but i'm just i just want aaron cashin to just stick into like lay lay out darwin nunez that'd be fantastic maybe maybe david mcgoldrick you know puts out some magic don't make trent alexander arnold look too bad because then he won't get picked for england um, but that's okay. 
Uh, but it'll be it'll be exciting. Um, I think Darby's going to go through. Jack, Chris, before I let you go, we need some score predictions. Jack, are we beating Torquay and are we beating Liverpool and by what scores? Oh, Torquay, I think it might be tougher than than we think. I think, you know, it's, it's it is a potential banana skin. It's, you know, it's a, it's a weird, weird game. And it's a thing we're kind of not necessarily used to, especially some of the young players, the lack of depth in the squad. Um, will, there is a risk some, some of them could have one eye on on next Wednesday. I think we'll do it, but I think it might be like a 2-1 or something. I'm going to go, I'm going to be quite conservative just in case. And then, uh, and then Liverpool, you know what? I'll back us to I'll back us to get a goal. I think that might be like a three-one. Chris, I need some score uh, predictions from you. Yeah, I think I think Sunday will be. I think Sunday people will make up for tonight. I think Collins will be keen to atone for his uh, penalty. So and he hit the bar, didn't he tonight? It was unbelievable when he. Hit oh, the, yeah. um, um, but I think the uh, so I'm going Sunday. I think routine two-nil. 3-1, 3-0 victory. Collins at least two goals. I think Liverpool high scoring defeat, maybe 3-1, 4-2. Just a bit of a, again, a bit of basketball, a bit of, you know, they're a bit too good for us, but we don't really care kind of night. Mm. So, uh, you know, a couple of goals for the away fans, but a bit of heroic defeat at Liverpool, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, there. 3-1 for me against Torquay, Derby win. And I would, I would take 4-2. I would be happy with that. I would be happy if, you know, it's a bit tight late on and then Liverpool get a couple late goals and it's like, you know, a heroic kind of defeat rather than just getting the mop out and start mopping the floor with us. Um, yeah. yeah, 4-2, Derby out of the Carabao Cup, but we move on to the second round in the FA Cup. It'll be it'll be exciting. Um, and gents, it's been, it's this this 45 minutes or so has flown by. Uh, thank you for spending a late night for you guys uh, on Tuesday after watching the Morecambe game. You all must be very emotionally drained. Uh, Chris Smith, Chris, thank you again for for jumping on the podcast and being semi regular with us this season. Yeah, pleasure. No, I always enjoy it, Corey. Anytime. And Jack, part of the furniture. Um, again, thank you for your time this evening. And I know you've had a long and busy day, so appreciate you spending the last the last forty five minutes with me to chat about this and, and the cup games and, and all you do for us. Yeah, it's all good. It's all you know. It's all good fun, mate. Uh, can I just get in as well? Little sure thing. little plug. Um, issue two of the sports magazine I write for, Pitch, is available to pre-order now. I'll end up putting the link out at some point. Um, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check this. I'm pretty sure that pre-orders dispatch on Monday, so there's there's all sorts in there in terms of uh, obviously World Cup stuff with it being so close. There's um yeah, World Cup stuff. There's Max Verstappen, uh, a look at him. I've done a big feature on uh, the Miracle of Medina, Ryder Cup 2012, and Europe's miraculous comeback there. There's all sorts. There's over 30 sports. One for, you know, the general sports fan. And as I say, World Cup stuff been there as well. And I did manage to get a little nod to Derby in there. So, Fantastic. Yeah. I will make sure I read your article, Jack, but I'm not going to read the one about Verstappen because I have two favourite Formula One drivers. One is Lewis Hamilton, and the other one is ABV, which is anyone but Verstappen. So right. those, are my two, those are my two who I support in Formula One. But I won't be reading anything on Verstappen, but I will make sure, Jack, that that link is put out. Uh, congratulations on, you know, continuing to be published in the magazine. That's 
it's a pretty great achievement. Um, so we'll make sure that that's out as well. Um, and with that, everybody, thank you very much for listening. And we appreciate your continued support throughout this season as the Rams navigate the trials and tribulations of League One. Um, Jason should be back soon. Hopefully he's back next week. And hopefully we're back in the saddle again together um, in the not too distant future. And from me, Corey, from Jack and from Chris uh, and from Jason as well, from Ramview headquarters. Um, that's the only thing left to say, Rams fans, is up the Rams. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Rams Review Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter at Rams Review One, on Facebook, Rams Review Podcast. Drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. And until next time, up the Rams.